0: welcome to baldhead Bible podcast making the Bible come to life featuring the expository story preaching of dr. John Katsian the man came running into the Israelite camp and he said listen you've got to help us oh Israel please help us help us the men of Israel turned and They saw this man and he fell to his knees and he's breathing heavy and he's exhausted. And they run over and ask, who are you? And he said, we're the Gibeonites. We're being attacked. Please take us to Joshua. We've got to talk to him. We need your help. Please, you have to help us. And so the men lift him up and they take him over to Joshua. Joshua, at this point, he's probably sick of the Gibeonites. The Gibeonites just lied to him and tricked him into making a covenant and here. They want more help. Well, this runner comes in and he's exhausted and he falls to his knees again. And he's just run 25 miles. Gibeon is 25 miles west of Gilgal. 25 miles. That's a long way. Why? Joshua probably says to him, Why have you run all this way? What is your problem? And then the man from Gibeon says, Please don't let your hand relax against us. We're, we're your servants, right? We carry water for you. We chop wood for you. Please, you you you've gotta protect us. You've gotta help us. Joshua says to him again, Why? What's wrong? Well, in Joshua chapter 10, we find out what's wrong. See, Gibeon was a big city for that area. And Gibeon was called a royal city in Joshua chapter 10. And it says that its men were known to be warriors. Well, this is a big city whose men are known to be warriors. And you know what they do at the site of Israel marching, when they hear the stories of what Israel did to Jericho and to the city of Ai, you know what this mighty city and mighty men do? They make peace with Israel. They trick Israel into making with them a covenant. You know, we heard about that last week. And, and, and this mighty city full of warriors out of fear of the Israelites makes a covenant of peace with Israel. Well, another king in the area, one of the Amorites. The Amorites were a tribe of people, and they were made up of various cities. And one of the Amorite cities was Jerusalem, and their king was King Adonai Zedek. And it says there in Joshua chapter 10 that when he heard that the mighty Gibeons in this big city full of warriors were so afraid that they felt they had to make a covenant you know what it did to add an king of jerusalem made him angry first of all those gibeons to 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 betray the amorite people but then secondly we've got to teach those gibeons a lesson you know if they're willing to just give up they could have fought why didn't they do anything so you know what the king did? King Adonai Zedek, He picks up his phone and he calls the king of Hebron, whose name is Hoham. Isn't that an interesting name? And says, listen, we've got to get together. we got to build a coalition. Are you on my side? And Hoham says, oh yes, I'm on your side. Let's do this. And so Adonai Zedek then calls the king of Jarmuth. and His name is Pyram and Adonai Zedek asks Pyram, "Hey, king. King Pyram, are you on our side? Do you want to go fight the Gibeans and then in turn fight the Israelites?" And he said, "Hoham is. Yes, he's in. All right, let's do this." And so King Hoham, King Pyram, and then Adonai Zedek calls up the king of Lachish. And the king of Lachish, you know what his name is? Japhia. J-A-P-H-I-A, Japhia, and King Japhia says, hey, I'm in. Is the king of Hebron in? Yeah, King Hoham, he's in. All right. Is the king of Jarmuth in? Yeah, King Pyram, he's in. All right, let's do this. And then finally, the next big city in that area is the city of Eglon. And so King Adonai calls up the king of Eglon, whose name is D-E-B-I-R, Deber, and says, hey, King Deber, are you with us? Should we go battle against the Gibeonites? And he said, is Hoham in? Yep. Is Pyram in? Yep. Is Japhia in? Yep. Are you in? And Adonai said, hey, I'm calling you. I am in. He said, all right, let's do this. Let's go defeat those traitorous Gibeonites. And so they develop this coalition of five Amorite kings. And they gather together and they surround the city of Gibeon. And they are about to wipe them out. When this runner comes running into the camp of the Israelites or camped at this town called Gilgal now Gilgal sort of becomes their operations center and from there they do a lot of battles and they come back and stay at Gilgal and then they'll go and fight some more well that's where they're at and everybody knows it and so this runner comes in and he says hey listen the Gibeonites we're your servants you made that covenant please you have got to come help us These five kings are camped against us, and they are going to destroy us. You have got to come help us. Now, what would you do? You know, if you were Joshua, here these Gibeonites just tricked you and lied to you. To make a covenant with them, Would would you just jump to their aid? Or would you let this Amorite coalition of kings wipe them out? Then guess what? You don't have to keep your covenant with them ever again. But remember, Joshua, he's a military genius. And he knows that eventually he has got to go to battle against the king of Eglon, against the king of Jarmuth, against the king of Jerusalem, against all these kings. And here they are all arrayed together in one spot. What better way to fight them than to get them all together and to wipe them out in one big swoop? So I think Joshua says, possibly because of the covenant we made with you, but probably because of military genius and how they could wipe out all these kings in one swoop, he said, all right, we'll do this. And so it says there in Joshua chapter 10, that Joshua leads his men on a night march. And they marched 25 miles, like I said, from Gilgal to Gibeon. It's 25 miles. Well, to make it more difficult, they march at night. It's completely dark. They didn't have flashlights back then. Maybe they had candles on torches and stuff like that, and they could light that way. But this was dark, and not only was it dark... They had to go up 4,000 feet. It was an ascent into rocky hill country. So they had to march 25 feet in the dark. They had to go up 45,000 feet of difficult terrain. They had to climb up and up and up and up. And there was no opportunity to rest. They had to get this 25 miles done fast in the dark. So can imagine how difficult that would be to lead the army of israel that's a lot of men and they're climbing up this mountain they're going through hill country they're going over boulders they're in the dark they're stubbing their toes they're scraping their ankles finally they get to the city on the crest of gibeon and morning is about to break and then you know for me i'd like all right we've now reach the highlands here, let's take a little bit of a breather, take a drink, and let's then go fight. But not Joshua. His army was fatigued, and they faced a powerful foe. But Joshua, he knew something. He knew something that was far greater than any fear or fatigue the men had. It says in Joshua 10, verse 14, That the Lord fought for Israel. And over and over and over again in the book of Joshua, you see this phrase. Don't be afraid, Joshua. Be courageous because I am fighting for you. The Lord fights for you. Joshua 1.8. The Lord fights for you. Do not be afraid. Be courageous. You can do this. And I think when Joshua got there, he thinks, I don't have time to wait. And number two, I've got the Lord fighting for me. Why would I wait? And so when they get there, they don't take a breather. They don't stop. They attack and they fight the king of Jerusalem and they fight the king of Eglon and they fight this coalition of forces, these five Amorite kings. And it says that this coalition of kings, they were afraid and it says that the Lord threw them into a panic. And again, God had said to Joshua, do not fear them, verse 8, for I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. Joshua knew this from many battles before, but it seems like just as they were about to go to battle, God reminded them, I am fighting for you. Don't worry, not a man is going to stand before you. And it says the Lord threw him into panic and the men fought and they fought them all the way and they pushed them away from Gibeon that says they chased them the way of the ascent of Beth Haran and struck them as far as the strait and this narrow passageway of Azekah and Makeda and it's interesting in this whole passage it says the Lord fights for you but the men fought it's this whole thing between God fighting on behalf of his people and the men doing what God has asked them to do. You see this interesting interplay between the human and divine factors and achieving victory in this whole battle. God fought for Israel, and he was ultimately the reason they were victorious. But the soldiers had to fight. You know, I think it's interesting. In our own lives, right, God says, I am for you but you've got to go out and do it. If God's called you to do something, if God's laid something on your heart, if God has supernaturally told you, go witness to that friend. If God has supernaturally told you, go give money to this situation. I need you to talk to that person. I need you to be encouragement. If God's laid these promptings on your heart, that's supernatural, but you've got to do it. You've got to follow through and step forward and be courageous and witness to that friend, witness to that coworker when it makes no sense. You know, you've got to give money. Sometimes when you feel like, I don't know if I can afford this, but God's laid it on my heart. You've got to do it. God is the one who fights for us, but we've got to do what God asks us to do well they got there early in the morning and they began to fight this coalition of kings and man were they winning and like i said if they as israel could come against this five coalition of kings and begin to wipe out their armies what a victory basically their cities would be given to them because they would wipe out their armies and then when they got to the cities there'd be no army to defend them this was awesome Well, one way that the Israelites knew and Joshua saw that God was fighting for them, it's an amazing part of the story. They saw a physical presence of God fighting for them. No, he didn't show up with a sword or some sort of angelic army. No, he fought for them by taking massive rocks and just hurling them at the Amorite coalition. It says there in Joshua chapter 10 that the Lord caused massive hailstones or massive rocks to fall from the sky. And as the Amorites were running away in panic, he threw these massive stones and bonk, crushed five of them, crushed one with one, hop, hop, crushed another 10. And it says that more of the army of the Amorites coalition was killed by the rocks, the hailstones coming from the sky, sent by God. More were killed by those than by the Israelites themselves. I mean, that would have been so amazing to see and such an encouragement. Our God is literally, physically destroying our enemy miraculously right in front of us. But Joshua knew that the pursuit of the enemy would be long and hard and he needed more time. And he's probably thinking, I only have 12 hours of daylight ahead of me. I need more time if I'm going to realize the fulfillment of God's promise, the total annihilation of his foes. And he sees all this happening. He's like, I need more time. I need more time. And then it says, in verse 13, one of the greatest miracles of all time. What Joshua is about to do is amazing and what god is about to do on behalf of joshua is absolutely jaw-dropping joshua he needs more time he's running out of daylight and he knows it early on and it so says many authors think around noon when Joshua can see that the sun is starting to begin its descent and then and then he can see off into the horizon he can see the moon beginning to rise and he's like i need more sun i need more light i need more time it says in verse 12 that at that time Joshua speaks to the lord and he says in the sight of all Israel, son, Joshua yells out to God, please, son, stand still at Gibeon and moon, stand still in the valley of Aijalon. He basically called out to God and said, please, God, stop the sun from setting. Please stop the moon from arising. I need more time You know what's interesting the earth is 92.96 million miles from the sun and the moon is 238 thousand miles away from the earth it's about 30 earth sizes away from the earth god has control over these things god can stop the sun setting can stop the moon from rising now it's interesting right scientifically the sun and the moon don't rise and set but what happens right is that the earth rotates it takes 24 hours for the earth to go around in one complete rotation and that's one day so when we see the sun setting or the earth rising it's actually the earth rotating and this is interesting did you know that the surface of the earth at the equator moves at roughly a thousand miles per hour that's how fast the earth rotates at a thousand miles per hour so when joshua is asking please Don't let the sun set. I need more light. Please don't let the moon rise. I need more time. He's essentially saying, Lord, please stop the earth from rotating. I need more time. I need more time. And so says verse 13, the sun stood still and the moon stood stopped until the nation of israel took vengeance on their enemies god heard joshua's cry and in his mighty power said all right i'm gonna give you more time and he went and the earth begins to rotate just a little slower It's not like people started talking slow or anything like that. No, it's just that time slowed down and the earth began to rotate a little slower, giving him more time, more sun, more daylight to chase these kings. And think what God had to do, what he had to miraculously do to accomplish that, to stop this massive earth from rotating. He also had to stop some floods that would have happened. He would have had to stop some geological things that would have happened to the tides of the ocean. I mean, this was an amazing miracle, and he did it all for Joshua and this little tribe of Israelites in the middle of nowhere. He did that for his people. And man, if God's willing to do that for the nation of Israel, don't you think he's willing to do that for you? Now, I'm not saying God's going to stop the earth from rotating for you. But I'm saying if we have a God who's big enough to stop the earth from rotating, if he has control over these celestial bodies to do what he wants, why should we be afraid that God can do anything on our behalf if we ask him. You know, the Bible says that if we ask in faith, right? And and if we ask according to his will, that God wants to answer yes. And so I want to encourage you, keep praying for that friend to be saved. Keep praying for that friend to be healed. You don't know what God can do on your behalf. And secondly, we have a powerful God. That's the other interesting thing. The Canaanites, they worship the moon and they worship the sun. And here Joshua yells out to his God, Yahweh, and says, please make that sun stand still. Make that moon not rise. And Yahweh says, okay, you got it. Boop. That sun wasn't some God working on behalf of the Canaanites. No, our God, Yahweh, he created them. And he will do what he wants. And man, what a slam in the face of these Canaanite gods was Almighty Yahweh. And so they had more time. And the sun stood still. And they had more daylight. And it says they chased down these kings and they fought them. And they fought them. And in a series of quick raids, Joshua attacked these key military centers. And he attacked them. And he defeated these kings. And he totally routed their army. And it says these five kings went to hide in a cave. And they thought, you know, we're safe. Well, Joshua found out where these kings were hiding. And it says they rolled a big Stone in front of the mouth of the cave. So these kings thought they were safe inside this cave. They were hiding, but now they're trapped. And while they're trapped inside that cave, Joshua continues to fight and to defeat their armies and to totally wipe them out. Then he comes back to this cave and he says, Alright, remove the stone, and they drag those five kings out. And then Joshua called the chiefs of all the tribes of Israel. Twelve men, right? Twelve men. And he brought them to his tent and there were these five kings who earlier thought they were the best, you know. They were going to rout the Gibeonites and then cause trouble for Israel and they thought they were going to do so much damage. But now their armies are wiped out. And they're caught. Joshua forces them to the ground. And then he asks all the chiefs of every tribe of Israel to come forward. All the leaders of the men who fought. And Joshua says, I want you to put your feet on the necks of these chiefs. And as he's speaking, Joshua takes probably Adonai Zedek and pushes him to the ground and then puts his foot right there on the neck of him. And so the other 12 men get together and they put their feet on the necks and the heads of these kings. And Joshua says, as we are doing here, we are representing what God is going to do for us here in this land as we have our feet upon the necks of these prisoners so the people of this land it's going to be the same way before you don't be afraid and don't be dismayed because as it says there in verse 25 for thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight they're going to be just like these men with their heads down and your foot is going to be upon their neck, symbolizing complete dominance. Be courageous. Fight on. And then they hung him and they executed him right there. And he wanted everybody to know that these five kings were routed and that they were dead and then the rest of chapter 10, you hear about how Joshua makes these quick raids into these cities, into Macada, Libna, Lachish, and Eglon. They no longer had men ready to fight for them, right? Because he defeated them in that battle. And These cities ranging from north to south in that lower southern region, they guarded the approach to the southern highlands. So in this part, Joshua, in one move, is basically conquering all of southern Canaan. And then he goes deeper into the southern region and he defeats two chief walled cities, Hebron and Deber. And all of these massive victories were an amazing victory for Joshua and Israel. And all these kings and their lands, Joshua conquered in one campaign. Why? Because the Lord God of Israel fought for them so when they went out to defend the Gibeonites they took on those five kings they saw a miraculous sun stand still and in one swoop they were able to take most of the southern half of Canaan man what a military victory and as it says in Joshua 10 verse 14 there has been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. This is a miracle like no other. Joshua said, Lord, stop the sun. Boom, it happened. There was no day waiting. There was no night prayer. No, it happened. Joshua said, please, Lord, I need your help. And God responded. And then they defeated all these kings in the southern kingdom. And they took that land, that southern part of it. And they established a big fortified stronghold. And they wiped out those cities. Wiping out all the people. Taking all their gold, all their stuff. Everything was fantastic. But you know what? At the end of the day... Who do we give the glory to? Do we say, Joshua, man, you were brilliant? Well, maybe a little bit. And we say, you know, well done for being courageous enough to fight those men. Well done for making that 25 mile track up a 4,000 feet ascent. Man, I don't even know if I could do that. That is fantastic. But at the end of the day, why did Joshua do it? Why did Joshua have the confidence that he could do what he said he was going to do? Why? Because of God. Because he knew the Lord was fighting for him. And if the Lord was fighting for him, there is no way he could lose. And God said to him, I'm going to give these men into your hands. And he trusted that what God said was true. Man, wouldn't you like to live like that today? I want to say, listen, you have that same God working on your behalf. And we know how that God sent his son Jesus to die for you on the cross. And we have seen how he rose again and conquered death. And man, what an amazing story. And we have heard about this miraculous event. And now we have the joy to follow Jesus. And not only that, we get to hear from God every single day if you choose to you know how it's the bible it's the word of god we have god's complete revelation sitting right there on our table for many of us gathering dust sadly or we have it right there on our iphone and you can read the very words of god to you every day we are so blessed. And I just want to challenge you and I want to challenge myself. Will we live that out like Joshua? Realize that if you are born again, if you know the Lord is your Savior, the Lord is fighting for you and he is talking to you through his word. And if you will but listen and if you will but change and if you will go forth in faith, man, what we can do for God if we just pick up ourselves and be courageous like Joshua because we know Almighty God He's fighting for us. Thank you for listening to Baldhead Bible Podcast.